it's so immediate that you can capture or you can document in a way that's really immediate but it's also um, it's also revisitable so there's this this really beautiful relationship between being able to be in that moment and co-constructing the documentation we're often doing it alongside children Quality Area 1, Educational Program and Practice, is the quality area of the National Quality Standard that is most likely to be rated working towards. The sector is still working through the new requirements of the NQF and what they mean for educators and children. In a world that is embracing more and more software and technology, what does documentation and planning mean in a digital world? I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. This episode, we're joined by Melanie Elderton. Melanie is an early childhood teacher and the educational leader at Explore and Develop Annandale. She is influenced by the educational projects from Reggio Amelia, Nature Pedagogy and the Anti-Bias Approach. Melanie believes in the rights of the child and the power of creativity for transformation in education. Mel and I are going to talk, we're going to have a conversation about digital documentation because this is one of the things that we talk about on the Early Education Show that we think about in various ways, question the use of and the value and think about how educators are using it and who that documentation is for. And Mel raised this with um, the Early Education Show to say, I'd like to give a perspective on digital documentation and uh, the way that that, uh, it's used here at Explore and Develop at Annandale. And we thought that might be a wonderful, insightful conversation to have and to share with people who are thinking about the work that they do in documenting children's learning. So, welcome, Mel, to the Early Education Show. And um, what we might start by talking about, I think we'll have a conversation, we'll have a bit of a to and fro here about about the way that you document here and uh, what value you find things like apps have in documenting children's learning. So maybe you could start by telling us how you go about your documentation here. Oh, and I do need to say that Mel is the educational leader here at the centre. Hi. Um, We use a platform called Kinderloop, which is not much different to your Story Park or any of those other documentation platforms. Um, I think we use it a lot. We use it for just about everything that we do. So from communicating between ourselves um, as teachers and professionals. We use it as a way to communicate with families. Um, We also use it for the families to be able to communicate with us. But I think most importantly, we use it to to document and track track for ourselves. Um, Documentation for us is... um, is our tool to be able to to do our job. So when you say you use it for us, how does that? I'm 
I'm thinking that you're using it in terms of reflecting on children's learning. Yes. So can you talk about how that fits philosophically within the with, centre? Within our, our okay. Our, our philosophy is based around five core values, um, which are knowledge, trust, inclusion, belonging, and of course, play, most importantly, play. Um, and those kind of those five values inform the way we approach documentation. Um, they also inform our relationships with children, our relationships with families, and our relationships with each other. Um, so, if you think, if we think about documentation in that, in through the through that lens um, of trust, inclusion, play, belonging, and knowledge. Um, it becomes it becomes really documentation as a tool for professional expression to steal a term from um, Dr. Red Ruby Scarlet. Um, so it's a it is our professional expression. Um, did I answer the question then? Yeah. How does it align with your philosophy? How does it align with it? Well, it uh, it's 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 embedded within it. So critical reflection is an important component of that philosophy that you're talking about and those yes. components of it how is it possible with a platform like the one that you're using mm. to have authentic critical reflection ah great i you know critical reflection is something that can happen alone but i think when you're working closely in a in a teaching team it it, it works better when you're sharing those reflections or you're inviting other people to reflect with you. Mm. And we work in a long daycare service here. Mm. So our hours are... Um, we don't have that time to come together and discuss as a group before the centre opens or at 3.30 when all the preschool children get picked up and go home. Um, so for us, this is a it's, a... it's a place where professional dialogue can happen in a digital space. So we can write a reflection um, that's for for us as an individual or that is recounting a professional conversation that invites other people within our team to join in that in that conversation. So you're you're having that conversation amongst yourselves and then is that publicly shared at any time with families or is it a you're just using that to reflect on the educational program? Mm. And the children? Well, that would depend. I would say the majority of our ref- the majority of our professional reflections um, stay private, um, but for just and just for us. But in saying that, our our reflective our reflective practice has many different levels, and there are those um, those reflections that we do directly on um, curriculum construction that do go out to families you know even the way you know rather that you know our daily our daily reflections on um on curriculum construction get sent out every day to all the families in the group whether that child attends that day or not Mm. um because that's our program in practice and you know and reflection is a key part of that of that cycle which isn't really a cycle it's more like a web but Let's not open that can today. Um, so, you know, those go things. Our individual reflections on children's on children's learning also go directly to families. Um, that, of course, families are then invited to 
or, or are able to comment upon and, and engage in that conversation. So reflective practice here happens on on different levels and different paths depending on which area it is. And some of them do cross over, again, because it's not a cycle, it's a web that we're weaving here with each other. So, so often those curriculum reflections or those professional reflections um, are posted publicly. Um, and if they do appear on that platform, they are open for families to, to join in that conversation. So you're fairly careful in your curation of those reflections. In the, when you're sharing those, you're fairly <coughs> you're selective about what you share with families. Yeah, and again, that that comes back to it comes back to um, that idea of professional identity, and. You know, if we're talking, if we're talking about, you know, a theoretical perspective on an event that happened versus a different theoretical perspective on an event that happened, um, that's not going to be engaging for families. Families seeing a big, you know, lofty rant using big educational jargon is not going to be engaging for families. They're going to think, why am I reading this? What does this have to do with my child? Mm. Um, so it's... It's thinking about, well, what, what is important for us to be documenting as a group of professionals and what conversations do we need to be having versus um, what, what is important for us to be sharing in a public space with families. Mm, so you've got to reflect on that too. And I, I'm thinking, you know, we've had this kind of genesis of how we represent children's learning <coughs> to with families and what that looks like with each other as well. And we went through a phase, I think it must have been about you know, 10, 15, no, probably 20 years ago around scrapbooking, you know, the, and we, uh-huh. were, we were putting together these beautiful works of art for families to keep and to enjoy. So They were beautiful. They were beautiful. They took, I'm sure they took they so took much time. They took a lot of time and didn't actually hold much meaning. So it was for a different purpose, wasn't it? That was yeah. actually just to share a story with families around mm. their children so how how then is this different how is this actually different to mm. to that and how how do we ensure that we're we're using something like a, a digital platform to share an authentic story as opposed to a story that families might want to yeah or a series of snapshots like mm. you know like your facebook sort of thing yeah mm. i hear you and i think i think that's one of the things that we've had many conversations about and we it's it's not a it, we use it we use it in a way we think about it as a as a a way to kind of gather data to support mm. what we what we're doing so we we you know we're we do take a lot of time and I think the, the the difference with it is it it's so immediate that you can capture or you can document in a way that's really immediate but it's also um it's also revisitable so there's this this really beautiful relationship between being able to be in that moment and co-constructing the documentation we're often doing it alongside children and we're directly, um, their voices, they're directly choosing photographs. They're um, often telling us what we need to, what's important to them and why, mm. why we need to be taking a photo or why we need to be posting it. And sometimes they, they'll tell us that we need to take a photo and we need to document it, but they don't want it posted. 
as well. So there's so this they're part of that research that you're you're researching side by side with the children, and they want the record of that. Is that yes. What? Mm, okay. Yeah, because they understand that we do look back on it. So they will. We will um, look back on an individual child's work with them one on one, or if there's a you know if we're building building a project. Um, because of the way we can tag and we can find and we can use all this lots and lots and lots of information, we can sieve out what we want to focus in on for a particular purpose. Um, the children are aware of that and they can, and, you know, for their project stuff we do, we, you know, we'll print off hard copies of a project in process and they can, they can look back on, and see how it grew mm. and ask to, to have those stories read. So it's a, it is... The story that's actually documented there. Yeah. So, what sorts of things are they talk when they're when they're looking at the documentation, perhaps from start to finish? I'm thinking on um, some of the work that you're doing now in making uh, developing um, films. Yeah. Stop motion films with the children. What what have been some of those conversations where they're looking at the start of that project? Yeah. So for them. For the stop motion film work that they've been doing, so they've been working, really working on it for over a year, um, but really focusing in with purpose in the last, I'd say, four four or five months. Um, what they they're remembering events that happened and wanting to know, well, how did I do that? So we can go back and find that and revisit them with them. So how did they get the, oh, how did they get the light like that? Or how did they stop it from what what how were they stopping the iPad from shuddering every time they pressed a button or whatever it is I'm just making up examples now but they um they can they because because they've been a part of the process for so long and most of these children you know are with us from age zero or one up until they're five um and this practice is so embedded in what we do they they're very aware of how to do it and what can be retrieved the other, th- the other way that the children will use it is when they want to revisit play. Um, an example, you know, the other day, um, well, a couple of weeks ago, they, the, a, gr- a bunch of our preschoolers built a giant cubby with all our loose parts outside. And they were trying, a couple of weeks later, were trying to recreate it. And they, there, was a big, there was a big flaw. They couldn't get, they couldn't get something on their roof to to sit and they knew it involved these different materials but they couldn't quite it wasn't quite working um and so they were trying to solve this problem and um it wasn't until one little boy came over and said um can you find can you find the photos from before when we made this cubby house remember and so we were able to actually go back and find those photos because they were because they were stored on Kindleloop and it's all chronically it's all every day and it would have been tagged with yeah. us you know certain tags that make us easy to find it or keywords that we could search in within a date range so they, and they've got this un- understanding of time and how that as well in and their learning they're seeing some of that learning over time yeah mm. now what about Thinking about you talking about the tags and things like that, and people who use the different <clears throat> platforms will know what that all means. But what about um, the training that's required? Like, I can yeah. see that there would be um, a range of skills and aptitudes in digital um, sure. platforms, and also 
a range of people's attitudes to those as well because there's a there's a broad range in the community generally but there's definitely a broad oh, range. Oh sure definitely definitely and we definitely have we definitely have leaders within our team in these sorts of things who we can go to to guide us with that but back way back at the beginning when I wasn't actually here when we we jumped on this platform um, but I know that they went through a training process there was I think it was several evenings mm-hmm. um, where they went through a, a, a training how to use how to use the app right um, to be efficient with the time of use of it as well and the the yeah because I'm thinking it could sort of stretch into a lot of the programming time is actually manipulating mm. the platform as opposed to doing the critical reflection if people are not if you're not using it right yeah and I think one of the values of it is that so much so much of what you can do um on the fly I guess or you know with children and in in the space it's not a matter of you know using your programming time to go back to the computer to stick your cable in from the camera remember having to do Mm. that and Mm. load all the photos and then sort the photos into different folders for different children or different projects or however you were sorting your photos and then getting your notepad where you've scribbled your scribble notes and then writing up observations neat and tidy like that that's you know quite a time consuming and laborious process so rather the way we do it is our observations are um quite some of them are quite short they're not very wordy at all Mm -hmm. um there'll be a video or there'll be some photos um, and a few words and, and some tags. And the tags are what kind of make us think, okay, where is this where is this fitting in this bigger curriculum design that I'm thinking about? So our programming time is ra- is rather is gathering those little that's why we're talking about it as more in terms of data collection. Mm. Because our programming time is actually sitting down and pulling out those little bits and reflecting upon them. And then writing reflections, as as opposed to just sort of manipulating the the platform and getting yes. all the getting it all in there. So you're using that critical reflection before you even put that material in there. Yeah. What about um where how does it all work within Quality Area One in terms of educational program and practice? What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Oh, I don't know. It's all it's it's all intertwined. It's a web, Leanne. It's a web. <laughs> it's always a web. It's never a cycle. So when it comes time for um, assessment and rating, yes, and you want to articulate the, um, you know, and demonstrate all of that work around quality area one. Mm. How how does an a, any kind of digital platform assist you to communicate what you're actually doing okay. in that area? We we um, articulate that our Program or our curriculum design lives on Kinderloop, um, and it and we can show how it lives for individual children. We can show how it lives as an overarching design, um, and we can also sh- also show um, how we use critical reflection to inform inform both of those. Mm, mm. So. 
um, it's quite it's quite clear and it's quite it's quite easy for us to to demonstrate how it all works because because it all lives in one place yet can be um, you can use the way you can use the tagging system um, and the keyword searches and and all those sorts of things you can you can zone in on mm. the elements you want so for example if we wanted to look at uh, okay an assessor wanted to know how do we um, look at an individual child um, how can you show me their cycle of learning just for the purpose of assessment and rating because it's not it's a web um, the, we can we can easily show you okay here's the data that informs our analysis of learning or our reflection our reflections on their learning and within that there is there is always a, a kind of future planning or a what next um, we actually call our analysis of learning analysis possibilities and oh I'm blanking out oh it's okay analysis and possibility analysis possibilities and Something future oriented. awesomeness. Yeah, I was going to say what something you said like that towards the future. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and it's it sounds a little bit whimsical, but it's it's also that it's that idea that this is what they're this is what this is how we're seeing the children. This is our this is what we get from our interactions with them. This is where we see their learning happening, and this is also where we can possibly go with their learning Mm. and we say possibly go because the child is in charge Mm. and um they they might not take us on that adventure that Mm. we're thinking we might go um so our possibilities are are um uh, open open ideas rather than i am going to extend learning by this way so what is the you know if you say okay well we've got that platform and that works for us Mm. is that what is better about that than actually documenting you know <clears throat> you know mm. hard format with paper and and passing pieces of paper around amongst the team and sharing those for me personally things don't get lost mm. um whether it be lost in a in a scribbly notebook or it gets lost on a loose piece of paper um it's it's more complex than that um, it allows. It allows. I think I have found personally, it's allowed for a deeper and a more complex um, way of thinking about about children and and how we work alongside them. I'm sort of wondering if that's that's not to do with the the um, we've got, got who is bit, making the printer go? Got a bit of printer action <laughs> happening here. There's, there's no one else here, but the printer's decided that it's it's going to go. This is when it talks um, to the talks to the classrooms. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering um, if that's actually your approach to to documenting children's learning and critically reflecting, as opposed to the the tool itself. So it wouldn't matter whether you were doing it on paper, or it wouldn't matter whether you were doing it in a in an app or whatever so what what is it, it must give you some advantage or some mm. there must be some it streams that enable that system. so it streamlines it for yeah. you yeah okay yeah and it, make, it makes everything accessible and it makes you um be able to 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 uh, pull together this this crazy web of lots of lots and lots of things going on but allowing lots and lots of things to go on as, mm. at the same time, I think I think it's it's a tool. 
I don't think a digital platform makes an educator lazy, mm. um, which is, you know, some of the things that I've heard. I don't think a digital tool limits you in a template because we don't use it in a template way. Um, I think it's just another tool in your arsenal yeah. of documentation. Mm. It's not the only way we document. You know, everything we kind, everything we do, kind of lives on there in its kind of raw state. But then, you know, we have we have documentation working in progress on walls as well yeah. that has it has you know bits of you know bits of Kindle documentation is sometimes cut out and like printed off and and it's stuck up there with um, you know whiteboard markers around drawn around it and connecting to other things mm. um we also you know it's a great way to compile data to actually you know write stories about work you know we 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 love publishing books um we love writing our own books here um and that's both from you know with children and you know for children and also for us as um so that's kind of part of gathering your um, content for the books as well. Exactly. Then. So, what would be what? I mean, you've used it in many positive ways. Are there are there things that have happened with the use of it that you've thought, gee, that doesn't work so well, or mm. it's um, that's constraining people's practice? Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't ever see. I haven't ever seen it really constrain anyone's practice here in this setting. I have heard stories of it being constraining people where people feel that that's the only way they can document from now on forever and they can't ever return to yeah. um, a piece of paper or a PowerPoint or or anything like that um, and I think that's that's not okay either um, I think if you I think one of the things that you know we are really we do a lot of reflecting on our reflecting <laughs> and what is what is appropriate to post and what is not appropriate to post mm. um, is definitely something. It's definitely that's a big part of our induction process when we have new educators come in. Um, things like uh, you know because they are devices and you know if you are writing up something, you know we our educators write their daily reflections. For example, um, curriculum reflections that go to families. They write it in the classroom with with children around. But we also do it in the point of the day where all our lunch breaks are finished and we've got extra staff around, um, extra teachers on the um, in the classrooms. So, you know, we're not we're not taking away from supervision of children or engagement engaging with children. I prefer rather than supervising because they're not they need to be engaged with, not supervised. Um, but. Um, so just, you know, things like that that are embedded in our practice. So, you know, we don't sit there and, and write a big giant reflection when, you know, our ratios are at, are at its limit. We do it when we've got the, the freedom of extra people yeah, around. so being thoughtful about when that's used. The, yeah. the other thing I was going to ask was how have you used it to communicate with the broader community, um, you know, with perhaps grandparents or with... Um, mm. How, how does that work? Well, uh, we, have, we have we have you know we have grandparents who live on the other side of the world able to able to view it and able to comment and able to contribute to that curriculum design, mm. which is cool. Um, they also you know they can we allow and some 
I know most platforms do have it as an option, but I know of a lot of places that don't allow their families to post onto. Um, we allow our families to post onto our platform um, and share what they did on the weekend or, you know, something, you know, a call out for um, you where we're investigating architecture in Sydney at the moment. If you work in the city, could you please post a photo out your window? You know, what, what can you see? What architecture can you see, you know, on your way home from school, for example, mm. you know? So we get this, we get our families actively engaging in our curriculum design, which, again, a lot of our families are professional families. And, you know, their drop-offs and their pickups. There's there's not that time or uh, space for that conversation of we're doing this. How would you like to do but that? increased sort of sense of belonging around the curriculum as well where families are engaging um, from their workplaces by the sound of it as well. Oh, completely, yes, yeah. Yeah. So have you got any other stories to finish up with us um, on this particular um, idea of digital documentation, something where you have just thought that is just the most wonderful use of something and it's really Ooh. broadened our practice. I mean I've been looking at looking over your shoulder at some of the documentation around your um uh, you mentioned it before the stop motion the stop motion work project which has been going on for a year. Yeah. So how are you kind of using it in 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 that with the children? Uh, yeah, I think that engagement with with digital just digitalness is that a word? I don't know. I'm making up words I don't again. Know, maybe Sorry. Digital technology. Digital, <laughs> digitalness. It could be digitaful. Digitaful. Can you be digitaful? Yeah, like oh, I like be that. Digital. Oh, we're going to use that one. Yeah. Um, I think. I think having you know having devices and iPads and stuff being it's being role modelled to children in our in our place as as a tool, not as a passive entertainment thing. And I think that's a I think that's a real clear difference. Um, we have lots of devices in our world here at Annandale, and we encourage the children to use them and engage with them um, in really creative and productive ways. Um, so I think for me, having having the children engaging with these exciting new ways of expressing themselves is really important. So it's kind of opened our windows to thinking about, well, we don't have to, and again, read, love your work, professional expressions. Our professional expressions in what we're doing about uh, the way we document doesn't have to be a written story. It can be a video. It can be a stop motion that we're creating with, with children. It can, it can be so many different things. So I think, I think it's just opened our way of, um, of of wondering what documentation can look like, how we can make meaning of our interactions with children as well. Um, but I think that's been like one of the most powerful and eye-opening things for me is engaging in a. <laughs> there goes the printer again. Engaging daily, engaging daily on a digital platform. With alongside children has opened us to other ways that we can use um, 
technology in the classroom. Mm. So that's that's been really really that's rich. interesting. So it's it, it, it you've kind of engaged with it, and so it's broadened your perspective on how um, technology can be used in the classroom. Yeah, with the children. Who would have thought, like you know, five years ago, that we would have been using stop motion as a creative medium with children this young Mm. Mm. like how could how can we you know to think of two and three year olds as filmmakers is quite um it's quite a like if you would have said that to me 10 years ago I would have laughed Mm. yeah and you feel like the the platforms are kind of allowing you to reflect and be critical in your practice on those for sure, it's opening up space and time and possibilities mm. that I don't think working with digital cameras and paper do. Yeah. So in a way, it's kind of like the castle. And Daryl <laughs> Kerrigan says, what is this, love? And you say, well, it's digital documentation. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, oh, it's what you do with it. So it's ultimately what you do with it. Yeah. And how you manage it and control it. It's not it's not necessarily controlling you. I think there's crap teachers out there, Leanne, and the crap teachers are gonna do crap documentation on a digital platform, platform or on a piece of paper. Well, we might finish on that note. Thank you, sure. Mel. That was uh, <laughs> thanks for your insight into um, documentation using digital platforms and I'm pretty sure that um, We will have a great conversation about this on the Early Education Show in addition to this conversation here. So thank you. Thank you. I just hope that um, it does kind of open some some eyes but also um, get people thinking about, about how we use, how we, how we can use it. Because I think, I think if we take it, if we take it just at face value, um, it's like it's like a it's just like a pen, it and it can be just it can do just what a pen does. Mm. But if we if we look deeper and we f- reflect on it a bit harder, it, is, it actually opens windows for lots and lots of cool stuff to happen in classrooms with children. We'll be right back. Are you listening to our Exploring the NQS series? If you're a supporter of the show on Patreon, you're not only helping to keep the show going, you'll also get access to an extra podcast where I explore every element of the National Quality Standard one at a time. It's a great way to get yourself up to speed with the NQS, uh, consider different perspectives and grow your own professional development. Each episode is only 15 minutes and we've just finished Quality Area 4 Staffing Arrangements. Just head to earlyeducationshow.com and click support the show in the menu to sign up and start listening for as little as $1 a month. With more than 100 episodes under our belt, we're now turning to our wonderful listeners for ideas and topics for future episodes. If you're doing something amazing in the sector, know someone who is, or really just want to hear us tackle a particular sector issue, just head to earlyeducationshow.com and click Pitch an Idea. All right, back to the show. Okay, so we're going to do things slightly differently tonight. I'm going to be a journalist and I'm going to pretend I know nothing about the topic on hand and I'm going to interview just the way I'd normally interview people about a topic I want to know about. Unfortunately, my victims for this interview are Leanne and Liam. Hi, guys. Lisa, hello. Lisa, very <laughs> lovely to join you on this, uh, this this wonderful show you've got going. I think um, I think... 
yeah, it's not just my show, but for tonight I'll pretend it is. <laughs> so look, I've worked in this sector for 15 years. Oh, sorry, I've worked around this sector for 15 years and I want to know something and I'm sure you two can tell me. Can you explain to me in about a sentence exactly what documentation is? In one sentence, Lisa. This seems you're already kicking yes. off with pretty unfair questions. Uh, <laughs> can I go first, Leanne? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So documentation is is the evidence that we're thinking and planning um, for children's learning. It is not the it is not uh, the thinking and learning necessarily itself, but it is the 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 work we can share, and it's a very small part of the requirement for quality area one educational program and practice. But it's the kind of it's the visible surface level examples of of the incredibly complex rich work we do with young children. Fair enough. Leanne, do you agree with that or have you got different? I don't know whether I feel completely qualified to comment because it's been a long time since I was an early childhood teacher in that role. But if I was to reflect on it, and also obviously it's not my um, particular subject matter expertise, but my, my reflection about documentation is that it's a record of uh, everything that happens around children's learning and that might be for educators, it might be a record of children's learning for families, it could be a record of children's learning for children. So I see documentation as having a, a range of, of roles um, that it fulfills. Okay, well that kind of an answers a bit of my second question, which was going to be, who is documentation for? So Leanne, you'd say it's for families and for educators? And um, well, I, think first, for I think first, of, first and foremost, it is for um, educators. That's what I, I feel. And I remember this question being asked in a survey, I think for a, an, a sector magazine, where, where we asked what people, who they felt documentation was for. So for me, <laughs> first and foremost, it is actually for educators for their critical reflection and reflection on practice and uh, then I think it has a, other purposes as well for families and for children not necessarily in that order. Okay Liam? Um, look I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before I, I, I do have a bit of a hardline view on this and I think the hardline view is important because um, we're fighting against a particular tide of, of thinking so uh, I do think it, that it is purely and solely for educators. I don't think it's for anyone else. But I think what a, a crucial part of that distinction is we kind of need to, and this is this is a podcast that's really going to get into the weeds, I think, but it is the definition of the word for. So by me saying it is for educators, that does not mean it cannot and should not be shared with children and families, that children and families shouldn't be involved. But if we look at um, both, you know, uh, relatively accepted approaches to pedagogical documentation. But even if we just look at the the uh, Education and Care Services National Regulations, it actually states really clearly under Regulation 74, subsection 2, one of the very few regulations I have memorised because I don't think it is so important, but it specifically states that documentation is is about how educators used it, how educators use it, and and that it should that it is uh, there's a legal requirement to share it with families. But this idea that it is for educators 
is critically important because it shapes everything else we do. Um, and one of the analogies I've used in when I do workshops and when I talk with people about it is I talk about it like um, when you're in hospital and the doctor has all the different notes um, she or he has taken uh, about um, your your ridiculous illness, your crazy thing, and that sort of sits there at the end of the bed. The notes are for the doctor. They're not for anyone else. The, do- the notes are there to help the doctor um, help you get better. Now, they can be – your your your, uh, your nearest and dearest can read them. They can see them. They might consult with, um, you know, another doctor. They might show them to you as well. But they're, but that's not what they're written for. They're written for the purpose of helping the doctor uh, do uh, her or his job. And we need to see it in exactly the same way as educators. There's no point writing anything down unless it's going to help an educator do their job. But doesn't it come back – sorry, Lisa, I know you want to ask another question, but doesn't it come back to – the purpose of education like what is education actually for and what is it and then for me then that that goes beyond the the doctor analogy there it just it just feels like it goes beyond that but I think Lisa will dig deeper into this anyway we're only five minutes into this interview and we're already into what is education <laughs> for I feel like we've, we've, we're getting pretty deep here but yeah, I, I, let's come back to that because I think, yeah, as Lisa said, um, can I just say as well, sorry before, and I said I was going to do this earlier, um, just in terms of the way that this episode was produced in particular, you, Leanne, you actually recorded that interview with Mel quite like quite a number of weeks ago, I think, because I, I know as, as the way this episode has been put together, it kind of feels like you've just heard Mel's interview, now you're hearing us talk about it. I do want to be really, I want to say thanks to Mel. I really enjoyed that interview. She's clearly a very uh, deep thinker about the work she does and sounds like she's doing an amazing job as the educator leader of that service so in terms of and i only speak for myself because i tend to have quite strong views on these the, the things i'm going to be talking about today are not in direct response to what mel said so this isn't about saying i disagree with what mel's, mel's saying um this is about i think my my view uh in, in a more broader sense one of the things that i really took away from mel's interview is that in any system there are people who will do great things in that system so even though i have significant concerns with um, documentation apps and things like kinderloop which she was talking about that doesn't mean there are people doing amazing things with those programs programs and it sounds like Mel is one of them but I think that's that, that's just important as a starting point to point out that this well, that centre's doing amazing things Liam so I'm just going to say that <laughs> so and Mel's the educational leader at that centre absolutely so. mm. thank you Mel you're probably going to disagree with everything else I'm going to say in this interview but, but I promise it's <laughs> not just about you knows that. <laughs> I feel like we're having Liam I think most well. listeners disagree ah! with everything you say so I think that's fine <laughs> look can we just Go back, Liam, I absolutely agree with you about uh, Regulation 74, that it does say it's for the purposes of the educational program, but it also says that it's got to be, the documentation's got to be prepared so that it's readily understandable by the parents of the child. And I think that's, you know, where we get a little bit complicated. But the other thing about Regulation 74 and, in fact, Regulation 75 as well, which is about information about the edu- educational program, is I get really confused. What's the difference between documentation and programming? And then what's assessment? 
Liam, you go first. <laughs> Why don't I? Because I have to answer these questions a lot. So, and again, this is this is kind of one of those very rare episodes where I almost wish this was a, a visual podcast because I'm so much more visual. I'd love to have a little uh, whiteboard or something. Are you waving? You waving? Can you? I, well. Leanne, I literally am. It's really embarrassing. Can you just imagine <laughs> me drawing on a on a whiteboard? So, um, and again, I know we're pressed for time because we want to try and keep this section uh, short because we've just had the interview with Mel. But um, they're they're really good questions, Lisa. And I think one of the challenges is there's there's a lot of overlap between those ideas of what is the program, what is assessment of learning, and what is documentation. There's a lot, there's a lot that dips um, in and out of, of those things. But the, probably the simplest way I'd, I would articulate it is under the under the national quality framework, we have to work with the uh, the planning cycle, which includes a range of um, different things we focus on, which is um, you know collecting data, observations, uh, or, you know collecting information about children, assessing that uh, that information we receive, um, then planning for particular learning. Um, then implementing that planning and then uh, reflecting and evaluating. And we sort of go round and round those cycles. And as Mel said in the interview, we kind of dip in and out and do different things um, as well. Um, but the, the the program, I think, in its most accepted sense in terms of, of uh, the, the work in early childhood centres in particular, is really that idea of what will be intentionally planning and setting up for, for, for children. Um, and some so of, it's the thing on the wall with all the boxes and the circles and the arrows on well, the back of it. Yes, yeah. it, it doesn't it have to be that. Where you are. <laughs> yes, it doesn't have to be that. So um, it might be something like um, you know an intentions document, which might go for a week or a fortnight or a month or six months. There is some uh, amazing planning that goes for an entire year. But it is the idea that at its most basic form, the program is kind of um, educators sitting down and using all the information they've collected, using what they know about children and saying, here are the things we're going to be focusing on from a from a pedagogical perspective um documentation i think as we classically understand it in the sector or as we most commonly talk about it is kind of um sits largely within that collection of data about children so it might be um uh, observations uh notes um photos those kind of things and to some extent the the and then how we um how we document the analysis of that learning. But an important distinction here is that analysis of learning is not the same as documentation of learning. Analysis of learning is something that happens internally with educators as well as in discussions among colleagues. And the documentation is just how we capture that process. We can't write down every every thought process we have. We can't transcribe every conversation we have with educators or with children or with families. So the separation we, we need to make is that documentation is not analysis in itself. It's the representation of that analysis. Does that kind of make sense? Yep, it sure does. That helps me a lot. Leanne. Uh, well, I, I, again, I would just say this is not my expertise, so I'm happy to defer to um, Liam's wonderful comprehensive <laughs> uh, description there. The, the thing that I would say, which you were talking about, the analysis, I would say that the critical reflection is an essential component. And I guess when I'm talking about documentation, that's not documentation that is necessarily shared with families, but it might be documentation that the critical reflection on children's learning, on uh, your own practice, on education in general, on society, community, all of those things might be what you share with your peers um, or your, your centre colleagues or other people when you're trying to build your practice. So I think to me that's an important component as well. Okay. I, I think that the, the, the more you two are speaking, the more I can see 
uh, some of why I think there's some confusion coming out. But I'll, I'll just keep asking questions. And then so... Um, so what, sorry, who's confused? Well, I think it's, the sector is confused, and I know I certainly am confused. And I'm not saying that I'm, um, you know, uh, I may be projecting my confusion onto the sector, but um, I also see a lot of commentary from people where they're confused about the role of documentation, how much they have to do. When people say that there's too much in education and care, what do you think they mean, Leanne? Too much documentation? Yeah. Oh, I think that they mean that they're producing too much material that is to be consumed by um, families. Liam, what about you? Yeah, completely agree. I, I, I dig a bit deeper. So when I hear that thing of I'm documenting too much, my, my, my response is, so stop. I know it sounds kind of <laughs> ridiculous, but I don't... This is the, 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 the this is such a cliched comment in the sector by now that the response is almost cliched as well, and I almost worry we've kind of circled back into a postmodern deconstructed view where no one knows what to do. But we've heard so often that there's too much documentation that the the, the obvious response is, well, why are you doing it? That's not required under the under the NQF. <clears throat> the other important thing I think for 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 people to know is that the 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 requirements under the NQF are quite broad. They are very non-specific, and they do not ask for certain amounts of documentation, people need to um, separate in particular. I understand where people get confused with this is they need to separate out the requirements of the National Quality Framework from the, sep the, from the requirements of the service or organisation they happen to be working for. So if you work at a service that has the expectation you're doing five learning stories per child per month, um, that's great. That's not required anywhere under the National Quality Framework. So to complain that that's a regulatory that you know that's a regulatory burden or that's asking too much of us um, I agree with you that is asking too much of you but you need to direct those complaints to the person asking you to do that not a CEQA and not the the national quality framework because Lynn, I think what people I... want can I just say something yep. I think you what people want is they they want to they want to know exactly how much is the right amount and that that is almost like okay if if we're going to be assessed on this, then we need to be told how much we should be documenting and what we should be producing for the purpose of assessment. And I'm pretty sure that Liam's response to this would be, I'm just guessing, you're a professional, then therefore you need to make that determination around what is appropriate and what is not appropriate and you need to use your professional knowledge. The problem that we then come into is that we have a range of knowledges, a range of qualifications, and the expectations are very variable um, across all sorts of settings. So I think that's, you know, people want to be told. It's like people want to be told how many glasses of water a day is appropriate for you to drink. <laughs> yeah, is there a problem with that? There's water in coffee, right? <laughs> I always count the <laughs> copies. Can I just say, did Leanne? And wine. Exactly. Leanne, I absolutely would say that. The other thing I would say that might infuriate 99% of everyone who's listening, um, I know this will not be a popular comment, is that we get stressed and 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 that we get stressed about this approach because we wish there was an easy way to do this. Children's learning is incredibly complex and dynamic. It it's hard because it's meant to be. So my response to all these things is. 
I'm never looking for ways to make documentation or thinking about children's learning or planning for children's learning easy because I don't think it is easy. None of the, the approach to documentation, the approach to quality area one educational program and practice should not be about what's the easiest way I can do this. It's how can I grapple with the complexity of what I'm being asked to do in ways that don't lead to burnout, don't lead to overwork. But it's not about making it easy. It shouldn't be easy. It should be hard. But how we approach it should be smart, clever, you know, professional. But I think that's that that's a really tricky conversation to have with people when they're swimming under particular questions. But I think we should be wary of the idea that we're trying to crack the code of documentation. I don't think there is a code to crack. It is complex. It is challenging. And we need to be comfortable with that complexity. Okay, Liam, a few weeks ago, a service, uh, an educator of service told me that at her service, the educators were expected to do three to four learning stories, document in the room's floor book, add to each child's hard copy portfolio, do three to two to three observations and help construct each room's daily diary every day. How has the sector gotten itself into this sort of mess? Um, well, the short answer is not reading the NQF properly. The longer, fairer answer is that the NQF was... So the sector didn't start in 2012. So the sector was already chugging along, doing a whole bunch of things, doing a whole bunch of practices that were at the time correct. And um, I'd really recommend Alma Fleets thought a lot about this and she had a great presentation at a wonderful uh, 35th anniversary conference event I went to that was run by some wonderful people. I wish I could remember who they were. And she called it the, pen, the pendulum swinging too far. <laughs> this is such an inside joke. I'm talking about Lisa and Leanne, of course, who were very nice to invite me to, the, to that event. Um, but Alma Fleet, uh, Professor Alma Fleet, had a wonderful presentation where she talked about the pendulum going too far. So, And this is, really, this is not specific to early childhood. This happens in a lot of sectors where there'll be a particular reaction against one particular way of doing things and, and, and you go too far the other way so we, the example here might be the one you mentioned in the um in the interview with mel leanne around scrapbooks so we all went down the road of scrapbooks and then we kind of swung away from scrapbooks and it's possible you know you go too far down the other direction um so i'm rambling in my answer so the long answer is the sector was already doing a whole bunch of things and responding to the various regulatory systems in all the different states and territories and responding to the re requirements of um good old ncac at the time so it's not like you could turn the sector off and turn it back on again when the, when the NQF came in. So the NQF came along and one of the fundamental positives of the NQF and its biggest drawback for people trying to navigate it is that it made the, the correct but challenging decision at the start to not be too specific on a whole range of things because how could you have an approach to particularly something as important as educational programs and practice that would suit, say, um, a centre in, you know, in the fourth floor story in Metro Sydney and in far, you know, far north Queensland? Though Those services have such radically different contexts that you cannot, you have to be, well, you have to be very, very careful to say this is the way it must be run in each of those services. So... My view is that's a huge positive. What that's created is a lot of space for confusion, a lot of space for misunderstanding. And what people have gone is they've either misread the requirements of the NQF or, as is human nature, they've taken the requirements of what the NQF is asking us in Quality Area 1 and tried to fit it into their existing context. So rather than radically changing the way they are operating and asking quite challenging questions about well, do we need to be doing all this writing? Who is this writing for? Why am I doing it this particular way? It was far easier for, for the sector at a time when they were undergoing a huge amount of changes to go, well, look, how can we make these new requirements fit the way we're kind of already operating? And then 
a lot of that's just stayed in place. But then I do have to say, a lot of it falls to pretty appalling consultants and pretty appalling people making a lot of money from providing templates and solutions to people. Leanne? I can't remember what the question what question was. How has the sector gotten itself into the mess where oh. one service could be trying to do so much documentation oh, right. in That's right. a single day? Yeah. Um, well, I think some of that I, I would sort of like to just add to Liam's rather than go over some of that same ground because I, I agree with um, those things that he's saying. I think some of it's a little bit driven by... Um, marketing as well, you know, the, the desire to demonstrate how much learning is happening in that setting. And so that becomes almost like a marketing opportunity, all of that that material that's being documented. And I think it, it has it is around philosophical perspectives as well and aiming high and in a way sort of proving I'm not saying this is the best way to do it but proving this professional status that we're we're trying to attain in early childhood education so it's just sort of reaching all the time but maybe it's kind of heading in the wrong direction well it is obviously if there's that much work that needs to be done because there's not that much time allocated if people had 2 hours a day to do that that was um you know quarantined for that sort of work and that involved critical reflection and dialogue with colleagues then yeah go your hardest i think that that would be marvelous but i think that sort of work is being um, squeezed in between all of the other activity that is happening in an early childhood setting. And so that's a recipe for um, uh, mental health issues for sure. I think all of those things that Liam said, and if I reflect back on, you know, very many, many years ago in ancient history, when I was documenting or programming (laughs) or whatever it was you know it was completely different it was um, developmentally appropriate practice and you were setting objectives for children and they were to reach those objectives I mean that almost sounds like a horror story now but that is what it was and there was a lot then and again people were um trying to do too much, trying to keep records of children's learning and, and do too much in the time that was available. Um, so I just think it's sort of gone on that trajectory of, of um, documentation. We got into scrapbooking, as, as Mel and mm-hmm. I spoke about, where we were putting together, um, I certainly wasn't, but where people were putting together these beautiful pieces of work for families to um, enjoy the, the work. And I think it's just been that that growth trajectory of those sorts of um, those sorts of things, and I'm sure there's some educational theory that will tell us exactly why that's happened. Okay, can I just give you some quotes um, <laughs> uh, that are from programs that I've read I've read about today? Pro- the sorts of you know electronic programs that perhaps this podcast isn't exactly fans of. Um, and I'd just like to get your reactions to both of them. Your child's educators can send you real-time updates, photos and videos throughout your day. Celebrate your child's learning journey with beautiful photo books. 
Choose photos from your child's profile to create high-quality personalised photo books for yourself or as a gift to a loved one. Takes minutes to prepare but will be treasured forever. And the other one, another program says, take photos, video, record videos and create beautiful stories. Parents can follow on from the activities that occurred for their child earlier in the day, extending their learning. With our program, you can feel close when you're far away. Leanne, how do you feel about them? Well, I just think that there's so much in that that is is just it's just all happening in my head you know you're far away so your child is away from you and that must be yes you should feel guilt (laughs) and you know there's but you can follow along you can be there and so that's um to me a violation of children's rights and privacy as well you know that they're being look all of those things I think all of that is just all about marketing that to me is not about documentation in any way shape or form that is not to me about families sharing in their children's learning that's just pure marketing and I that's the method by which people sell those particular um, software packages however I don't believe that that is what every early childhood setting is purchasing that software for. Obviously, I think, you know, the interview earlier shows that other people have other reasons why they're doing it. Yeah, and I think that there's, and I think that if professionals are in charge of this software and in charge of these apps and they're using their professional knowledge and their early childhood pedagogy, then they will be used appropriately. But that's probably going to fan out into a bigger conversation <laughs> right now. Okay, Liam. Sorry, I blacked out after the first sentence. What did I miss? What happened? <laughs> um, look, which, I. Which sentence? <laughs> the one that um, look, I. I feel like I may be repeating. I've spoken about this on the podcast before. I've written about this. This is probably the hill I will die on in the sector alone and friendless, and I will be that person with a message scrawled on a on a placard somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, my obviously those things are appalling. I think the challenge here is, and again, this is. I'm glad I had that statement before. So this is not a direct response to the interview we just heard before, because Mel, as I said, there are individuals, individual services, individual educators who are using these systems wonderfully well and are creating fantastic outcomes for children and families, which um, I applaud. My question is, can you, because some individuals can operate in a bad system well, that doesn't change the fact it's a bad system. So my concerns around these these apps are entirely around that period. So so the, the marketing is a broader issue with the sector, and I've been I've been thinking and writing about this a lot more recently. Which is my my concerns that we've just moved in the sector, and this has happened relatively slowly, although really only over the last ten twelve years. But we've moved to this idea where everything we do can be commodified and marketed. It's a very neoliberalist view, and we really need to do the neoliberalism and early education episode one day. I would love to have that discussion. If we could get the magnificent Eva Cox on to talk about that. That would make me a very happy man. But this idea that everything we do can be commercialized and modified. So people can do amazing work with these programs. I'm not necessarily disagreeing that the idea that um, we can get more direct input from families is a good thing. Um, my, and that the idea that there are ways that educators can be supported to write particular things. 
Um, my issue is with the idea that why can this only be done through something that is making money for someone else that is marketed in that way to families? The marketing on this stuff is really weird because centers are buying these programs, but the marketing is so family focused. And what this slowly does is drip, 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 bit, 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 add, add, add over the sector convinces the sector that the documentation is for families and I will fight this battle to the end of my days. And I have stood in workshops and I have gone, I don't particularly care what families think about the documentation. You are the educator. You are the teacher. You should not write anything down that does not help you do your job. And that is the lens you should apply on every documentation. I, I, said, I have a pretty extreme view on this. And every time I say that, I get a few gasps from educators going, what do you mean? I say, I don't particularly care whether the families like the documentation or not. The law and the regulations say we have to show it to them and share it to them and explain it to them. Whether they like it or not is entirely, I do not care. So then that because that leads us Yay, down. Yay! I think you're my hero. Well, I, I, yes, I'm a very lonely hero though. Like, so not anyone, not for any No, I've just said that you've got a friend. <laughs> That's all right, but. This isn't so. This is not to again. This is. I, I do want to be really clear. People who are using these programs, I, I, I do understand they're there. The other thing that it frustrates me is the it's the convenience of it, and I think this is a really slippery slope in terms of going. But it's so convenient, and I go. But again, I go. I I just don't think thinking, talking, analyzing, documenting children's learning should be convenient. It should be challenging. It should be complex. It should be based in conversations with other educators, not something that's typed into an iPad and sort of flicked into the ethosphere. Because the other issue here for me has always been, who owns this data? I struggle to think. I think I sat down one day and tried to work out, you know, if, you know, 50, even if even if only fifty percent of the sector was using these apps, that's you know, that's however many tens of thousands of children's information about their learning, their well-being, their work, their journey towards the learning outcomes that's being uploaded into private companies, sort of cloud-based nonsense. Who owns that data? Who's who are we actually giving, you know, information yeah, about children but, to? Yeah, really, like yeah, you know, Facebook. Yeah, well, I, I, w- I would, wouldn't be using Facebook for children's learning either. Um, I just think I, my issue with this is not necessarily that they're all terrible things. I obviously don't agree with them. And as I've said on this podcast before, the organization I work for will not use them while I am employed there. Then someone else may come along and, and, and change that policy. That's fine. But the idea that we just haven't thought about this as a sector, that we've kind of sleepwalked into this idea where it's far harder to find a centre that's not using these programs than one that is. And we haven't True. as a sector gone, what does that actually mean? Like have, no one sat down and said, you know what, let's all move to documentations app. It's happened slowly. It's happened insidiously. And someone's making a lot of money from it. And those are all questions to me where I go, they're question marks. Now the answer may be, do you know what, maybe these apps are good. But I don't think as a sector we've actually said, what do we actually think about this? What are the pros and what are the cons? Or is it just that, but it's so convenient and families yeah, love it? And precisely. And that's the bit that really gets me because after those quotes that I just read to you, there was an appeal to parents to get your centre to be yeah. using our program today. It makes me ill, Lisa. It makes me ill. And, yeah. but, but, Lisa, we allow that by, by engaging with these apps, by... by 
saying this is how we do it and not saying, actually, this is the way we document. You might not get a photo slideshow every day. You might not get a lovely photo of your child, but you will get educators who are, A, spending more time engaged with your children in their learning and well-being and in the implementation part of the planning cycle. And the documentation you do get to share with us will be really rich. It'll be really professional and it'll be really engaged on educators supporting children's learning. But those are harder and more difficult conversations to have. And it's so much easier to just go the convenient route. And can you imagine schools using these programs and sending home a photo? They do. They do. My school do uses they use them. them. Do they, they do. send home photos of your yep. children engaged in their day? I bet, I bet the best that people... Seriously? Are... Yeah. Yes. Class, dojo, do. pencil. Yeah, they're all out there. Yeah. yeah. I um, didn't think that they were used the same way. I thought they were more for notes to be signed and things like that. Yeah, because, it's, because it is all about communication I suppose I think it, it it does come back to that and I think it's I I don't I what I really don't want from my perspective I think that people are using them but they're in control in control of it I do absolutely agree with you about that data and what's what's happening with that but maybe we've given up our right to privacy a long time ago. But can can you be in control? So this ecosystem exists by itself. The way these products work, even if there are people doing fantastic things with them, these products exist in a particular... I I just don't know if I agree. I think people can think they're in control. I don't know if they actually are. Because of the... The data sharing. Because of the data thing, thing, but but even so, even you know, and the the most common response I get from this when I talk with a whole range of people about it is, oh, but you know, it's you know, we 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 don't just use the templates, we don't just do the linking, we don't just use the tags, but it turns out they kind of do. So even when people have convinced themselves, oh, you know, but I'm using it in a different way, they're still using it in a different way that is entirely prescribed by that app. So at the end of the day, they're still typing things into the boxes that are provided to them. Whereas if you're going to go out on your own and brave the blank piece of paper, which is I think is how I put it in a in a document in a, in a blog I did quite a while ago, you you have control over how that's presented. I I think people who convince themselves they're in control, I don't know if they actually are. Okay, guys, I'm going to um, look. We've been talking for quite a while now, so I'm just going to pull it to a, a close. I just want to read one quote, which is I went through. Everything I could find today to find the best quote I could find about documentation. And I want to read that quote, see if you guys agree with it, and then ask you one final question. So the quote is, and it comes from the Educator's Guide to the EYLF. It says, documentation records and creates evidence of learning. Documentation is turning the experiences that you observe, hear, see, and feel into written or pictorial records that can be shared, revisited and extended over time. Rich documentation incorporates multiple perspectives and makes learning visible to the learning community. Multiple perspectives include voices of educators, children, peers, families and other professionals. Are you asking, do we agree with that? Yeah, like it seems to be covered... Yeah, yeah, I reckon that's that's I like um, that. fantastic. I think that in order to unpack that, <laughs> you you need to really think about all of those things and think about what multiple perspectives bring. So yeah, I, I think that that's that's pretty on the money. I'd be happy with that. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree. I mean, um, absolutely. I think that 
exactly all that's in there because documentation is as complex as you as you want to make it for me when I try and define documentation really in a, in a short way as possible and documentation in an early education context for me is um, the things that help you do your job and then you can go layer upon layer upon layer below that which is including things like multiple perspectives who are we getting that information from how are we finding out more about children but what it comes down to me is that um, that idea is how is that helping educators do their job, which is supporting children's learning and well-being. Um, okay, my final question is: a sequel recently described said that you know it was a question they were asked a question about babies sleeping and or children sleeping and what kind of observation supervision had to happen at that time, and they said. Look, you know, you could do something, you know, you could do tasks of a simple and straightforward nature at the t- same time, such as paperwork or documentation. What's your response to that? Hang on, they're saying that while children are sleeping, that's a good time you, to get documentation yeah, done? You can do, do, because it's just a simple and straightforward <laughs> nature. Yes, well, but again, this is where, so look, my... My initial reaction is to want to challenge that, but part of me goes, well, the one of the other important lessons, and I know we're way over time, and I was the one who's saying we had to keep the time, but I, I could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. One of the most important things as well for me to understand about Quality Area 1 is the documentation is the least important part of it, and it's the thing we should be spending the least amount of time on. Educational program and practice, practice is incredibly vital. That's, the, that, that's actually engaging and working with children. We should be prioritizing that above everything else. And the program, you know, thinking and planning about what are we planning to, to implement with children. So um, I would maybe... Oh, I like that. Yeah, so I might, I might be... I might go a different direction from you, Lisa, is that maybe I, I actually don't necessarily mind the idea that documentation is something we view as less important than the other things because I think we actually talk about it far too much in the sector. We're far too stressed by it and we should focus on the other elements of Quality Area 1. There are nine elements in Quality Area 1 and documentation only really... It doesn't get an element to itself, interestingly, um, and it only really factors deeply into only two of them. So wish, I, I wish we could spend some more time thinking about the other parts of Quality Area 1. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm going to take a different view of this, but it's not really that different. I think that in order for people to understand their practice, they need to write about it and they need to be reflecting and writing. And in order to do that, you need time. Yeah. I think that that there is nowhere near enough time for people in our profession to critically reflect and to undertake the things that will help them to understand their practice, children, education, all of those things. Completely so agree, I, yeah. Yeah, and I, I do think that people need to document for themselves, write, while they think these things through because that's that, you know, the, what is it, the psycholinguistic prote- process <laughs> that they need to, they need to have. Um, and maybe some of it does happen when children are sleeping if it's not compromised, but it just comes back to it for me is that that's sometimes the only time that people are able yeah. to get time to do this, and that's wrong. Yeah, that sure that is, is the yeah. such a good point. Part. Yeah, it's the wrongest part of everything. And um, in having a conversation about all of these things that are that are happening that are putting pressure on on early childhood educators, 
In other professions, people will say, I cannot do this. I do not have enough resources or time. And what will happen in another profession that is more is resourced at a better level, okay, let's put some more people on that project and let's give some more time <laughs> to get that project done. And yet somewhere along the way, it has become a badge of honour to shove this stuff into a working day, this important, important practice and get it done and do it in the time. And if you don't do it in the time, then you're not good enough. And really, that's what it comes back to for me. And it makes me want to cry. (laughs) Bravo, Leanne. Yeah, absolutely. Entirely agree. Look, you know, I think we should really finish there because I think you've both made really strong statements there. But one of the things from an outsider's point of view, looking in at the sector, that I think has happened is that documentation has become confused with other paperwork. And even with a sequel's comment, they went paperwork forward slash documentation. And I think when people say things like there is too much documentation in education and care, they're talking about things like um, ticking nappy charts and writing up feed things as much as what you guys would call documentation. And I think that possibly you both and all of your peers, other highly educated teachers who have been in this for a while, fail to see that confusion that's happening between those two terms and fail to see that people are drowning under a sea of paperwork so they include things like filling out your incident and, and whatever forms as part of documentation. And I think possibly we need to, you know, have two separate terms for those things so that if people are uh, annoyed at the amount of paperwork that they do or believe that the regulations require them to do, that's a separate thing than documentation that's to do with educational planning and practice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the other is just record-keeping, isn't it? Yes. People call, like, they're documents, and on a lot of those apps, you fill out that stuff on on the same app. Yeah. Right. Mm. Okay. Well, that's something Anyway, I'd just like to thank you both for being very wonderful interviewees. You've... (laughs) um, You've given me a, a, and I'm not just saying this, I actually do understand the whole process of documentation a lot more from what you've said, especially, I suppose, the way it would be nice to use it in a um, in an optimum world. But I'd just like to, to focus on that comment that Liam said halfway through with, if you're doing too much documentation, then stop doing it. Yeah. Because that's I think right. that's just, yeah. yes, there's no requirement that you do that much. You're choosing how much you need to do. So go forth and stop forth. documenting quite as stop. much. Down tools, down tools. <laughs> can, I, can I do a little plug for something? Oh, will we let her? Yeah, okay. go on. It's like a piece of software. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> It is um, uh, the book Challenging the Intersection of Policy with Pedagogy 
And the reason why I'm saying that is because Chapter 1 is called Pedagogical Documentation, the Intersection of Children's Learning and Prescribed Systems and Policy by Rhonda Livingston and Catherine Hyden. And I think this is a, it's a sort of lays out that process of pedagogical documentation in what I would describe as very common sense way. So I would just like to uh, recommend that book. Certainly and how do people I, get access to it? I edited it. Well, Liam's going to put the link on the website, aren't you? I sure Liam? will. I've read that book very well edited, Leanne, as well. But yes, great contribution from um, from from Catherine Hyden, and I've forgotten the name of the other person now, unfortunately. Um, is Rhonda. Rhonda Livingston? Rhonda Livingston, yes. Um, <laughs> Catherine Rhonda, great work. Yes, <laughs> probably should and remember there that is person. Also, there is also a chapter in there um, which documents some of the work that is being done by the centre uh, at which uh, Mel works, who was our interviewee. So um, I'm, I'm going to say, get that book. It's terrific. <laughs> you have been listening to The Early Education Show. Thanks to our guest for this episode, Melanie Elderton. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jazza at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.